we talked a lot. Something that stood stood out to me too was, and especially in this day and age when when so many uh, companies have gone fully remote, um, his his belief, and I, uh, he's convinced me that this will not work long term for most businesses unless you bring your team together, which is why I really push for that. Like not push, but I talk to clients about that all the time. I'm like, bring, do a retreat, bring your team together. I, I understand that teams are now working in a hybrid way. Make sure that they come into the office on the same day um, so that they see one another, they get to know one another and they spend time because a lot of what he talks about is the, is, is the need for us to establish friendships. And if you, care about employee retention, um, you know, chances are people are going to, are far more likely to stay working for you if, uh, if they have friendships at work. Hi, it's Kurt Sterdix. Welcome back. If this is your first time listening, then I'm so glad you found us. This week, I'm excited to share my conversation with my friend, Dave Delaney, founder and CEO at Future Forth. Dave and I first met in 2009 when I was driving across the country experimenting with social media and mobile video with the lovely Jolie Odell and the affable John Dingman on our road trip. And we connected with Dave in in Nashville, Tennessee, where he lives now. And Dave is an author, speaker, and consultant, and he teaches fast-growing companies how to reach their people to improve retention, culture, and productivity. And he's built his brand on being nice to people. And we get into that in this show. It's a fun episode that has a lot to offer anyone interested in company culture, marketing, coaching, and the magic of Nashville, Tennessee. Please go to curtylee.com if you'd like to subscribe to my newsletter. And on to today's show. Here's Dave. Dave, it's so nice to see you again. Appreciate you taking time. Where are you today and how you feeling? I'm in Nashville, and it's uh, Friday, and that works for me just fine. Friday, I love that. I can't believe we're already like halfway into the quarter. Oh, I know, man. I know. It's craziness. <laughs> so we first met in 2009 when I was driving across the country, experimenting with social media and mobile video with the affable John Dingman and the incredible Jolie Odell on our road trip. You remember that? Oh, yes. I remember it well. It was awesome. Yeah, it was great to connect when you guys rolled through Music City. Man, we were trying to kind of channel Jack Kerouac, and we were in Jolie O'Dell's. She had some kind of car. We called it the Steamer. (laughs) Oh, man, we had so much fun. This was like Twitter had started to go mainstream. Jolie, we had Red Bull had sponsored us. Yeah. I don't know how I talked them into giving us money for that. And we... We would just turn up to these different cities and do these tweet ups. And uh, when we rolled into Nashville, you know, that that's where I first met you. And I can't remember the other, I think we were using Bright Kite. Does that sound? Yeah, actually, I also did a road trip. I think it was that same year and, uh, and Bright Kite sponsored it as well. So Bright Kite was sort of, uh, was it pre Foursquare or is around that time? I mean, Swarm Foursquare, I think. Like the maybe the year before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but Bright Kite, yeah. So Bright Kite was a sponsor. Of my road trip to uh, South by Southwest as well, or to CES rather. So, yeah, yeah, wild. I mean, we ended up making the evening news in Toledo. Nice. 
Yeah, we turned up and the evening news came down and, and uh, I flew to LA, met Jolie. I don't know where if Dingman was there, but we met, I met Dingman in DC and then Dingman and I went, drove down to I think Virginia where Jolie was. And then we drove all the way through all these cities, all the way out to Omaha. And that was the sort of the conceit for the trip is to get out. And I think it was the very first big Omaha event. That's awesome. Yeah, and then we loop up to Chicago, and, and, and that was just so, such a great time. I met so many friends on that trip, and I think that's a great sort of like segue into the conversation. You're one of those people that I just have continued to stay in touch with online, and I think like back in the day I'd see you at South By, but hadn't really talked to you in a long time, and I got a really thoughtful, your annual email that you sent out. Yeah. And that was a prompt for us to reconnect, though our worlds are intersecting with future, with your new startup, Future Forth. Right. Yeah. Why don't we, maybe we start there and then we could press rewind and get, can do a little survey of your career and, and then we can kind of project into to what's next. But get us connected on uh, on Future Forth. What is it? Why did you get inspired to uh, get it to market? Yeah. So what I do with Future Forth is I work with fast growing tech companies founders, CEOs, VCs, to help them improve culture and communication and ultimately employee retention because it, it can be so costly, especially in the tech world, but even beyond the tech world, as we know, with the, the great resignation that's taking place. And I chose the tech world because that I come from the tech world. I've worked both for hardware companies, software companies, and I've also been you know geeking out online since the old BBS days with my Commodore 64, which just dated myself there. And so, yeah, so Future Forth, I help companies really retain talent ultimately and improve communication. I do that through workshops, virtual presentations, in-house training as well. And I love it. And it, it's come really full circle from my realization that what I'm really all about is community and communication. And it comes down to those two things ultimately. And so that's kind of how Future Forth was born. I do a lot of keynote presentations and training and workshops, and uh, but it all kind of fell into this sort of nice methodology when I kind of saw the light and realized that kind of everything I was doing was sort of scattered, and I realized that they were all connected under this nice methodology theme, and so I kind of developed that as part of what I do at Future Force. Yeah, I love that. How long have you been doing it now? Future Force has been around so five years in its current iteration, although about seven years. And I've been out on my own for 10 years this month, actually. Yeah. The other thing that I love about what you're up to is this your energy and, and this idea of being nice. Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. What's that? All? <laughs> What's the deal with nice? Yeah. Wow. Why would you do something like that? <laughs> well, first of all, I'm Canadian, so I have to preface it with that. Although there are plenty of, of not so nice uh, Canadians, but we won't talk about them right now. I'm, you know, basically my rule has always been to treat people the way you want to be treated. And not just that, but also be nice to yourself <laughs> and maybe do that first when you think about that, because, you know, you treat yourself like a jerk well, and you expect people, you know, if you treat others like a jerk, well, that's not going to go around so well. So really for me, it's all about, I love connecting with people. I love meeting new people and I love being able to network effectively and nicely to provide value to the people in my network, call it karma, call it planting seeds, whatever you want. But really it's always been for me about, about meeting cool people, bringing people together and just providing value. And I've been doing that like in the early days 
when I co-founded Bar Camp and Pod Camp here in Nashville and Geek Breakfast and, and Nash Cocktail, these networking events, I never I didn't do any of them for money. I didn't have any any aspirations for that. I had a job or jobs at the time. And everything I, I did, I did because I genuinely love connecting with people and bringing people together. And so that sort of made Geek Breakfast something that I started doing in other markets, you know, South by Southwest as an example of that in Austin and, and elsewhere. And it's also kind of how, you know, even doing like tweet ups, which I would do as well when I would travel or go to event conferences. And things. So yeah, it's really just about being kind, being nice, spreading that message. I think we need it these days. Yeah. And then because I'm the marketer in you, you, you sort of brand it, like you actually put it the set of the, the a graphic in places, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's part of the framework of everything I do. So all the, my podcasts, the nice podcasts, the content I produce, the blog posts I write at Future Forth, everything I do kind of falls into this framework, this nice methodology. Where does being nice break down? Where does it not work? Or when is it not appropriate to be nice? Yeah, it's a good question. And I get that sometimes where, well, you can't be nice all the time. But the point is that being nice means, it means taking care of the people in your life. And that includes because I'm speaking about work in this case and running businesses, it's about taking care of your staff, taking care of your clients as well. But it, it doesn't necessarily break down. But I mean, unfortunately, sometimes you have to part ways with a toxic employee or you have to part ways with a poor a client even. And, and that's not nice. But it's every moment isn't going to be nice. You know, we're, that would be, that just wouldn't happen. So it's a matter of like taking care of your people and that ultimately becomes nice. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've sort of subscribed to this bit of a dualism sort of world or philosophy that, you know, you can't have good without bad and can't have light without darkness. So 100%. you wouldn't have nice if, then I guess maybe that's what the, you're bringing to the party is if there's so many people that are not nice that you can just, even in just being nice, you're so different. Yeah, it's kind of like the old uh, kill him with kindness. I worked at a gas station. I think my most popular personal blog post, I also blog on a personal blog at davedelaney.me if you want to check it out. There's a blog post there called How to Deal with a Jerk. And many years ago when I was a kid, also dating myself here, I remember full service gas stations. I worked at a gas station and I had this customer that came in he was a Mr. Fancy Pants with a fancy car, and he was a total jerk to me every time. And I would always come back in after serving him, livid, just like, ah, that guy, he drives me crazy. And my boss said, just like, act nice, act super, super nice. And I'm like, what? And so I did. So like next time he came in, I was like, right away, sir. Absolutely, sir. Have a great day, sir. And like, just over the top, he was looking at me like I'm crazy. But he was, he clearly left in a hurry and he was angry that he couldn't get me angry because I was over the top nice. And so his racket did not work on you. It did not. Yeah. I, I learned a valuable lesson from that. So thanks, Ed, my old boss for teaching me that valuable lesson. Oh, that's amazing. It's one of the prompts at the end is like best boss ever. And who is so definitely Ed in the running right now. 100%. Yeah. He taught me a lot. Do you... Like last episode, episode 21 with Gretchen Fox Palmer, we got into this whole trip on how emotions give us so much information. Have you got to a point where that really valuable lesson you learned from Ed 
And do you have a pattern now where if you feel like you're being triggered that you've been able to train yourself to be nice? That's a good question too. Yeah. And that was a great interview, by the way. Sadly, I'm highly allergic to horses. So yeah, found out the hard way as a kid, but that's a different story. Yeah. I find I've started taking meditation and mindfulness quite seriously over the last year to, well, really since the pandemic kicked in, I've started, I've always kind of dabbled with it, but never really fully understood what I was trying to do with meditation exactly. But I've come to a place where I do understand what I'm doing now. And I've found that while I might be in an angry moment and just kind of just to breathe and to slow down a little bit and not to be so reactive in everything. And trust me, I mean, I turn to social media and I'll be, and I'll say something, you know, especially with current events taking place in the world right now, it's easy to get, to get upset quickly, but I think it's better to slow down in scenarios where you might regret whatever the action is you're taking, or you might realize that like bitching about something on social media is far less effective than picking up the phone and actually calling your, you know, Congress person or, or something like that. So actually rather, you know, slowing down long enough to do something intelligent rather than just like freak out. And so, yeah, we all have moments like that, but I think being nice and this nice method is really a matter of slowing down and giving yourself time and pause. Yeah, I like that. And even in that is even thinking about what is the most strategic communication, not only the content, but the channel in which you're going to deliver it. I thought that was a great example of, you know, writing a thoughtful letter to a politician. That doesn't matter. People underestimate. That's really what does move the needle. Yeah. Yeah. Right before I actually, when I met you, I had us, we had a business called Freedom Speaks that we transitioned into city sourced. And we was in a, a business where you could type in your address and it would tell you who your federal, state, county, and city officials were. And you could send them a, a letter or a fax. And yeah. Yeah. But uh, I digress. Well, there are similar services still out there too, by the way, that I do encourage people to research. Because yeah, I mean, like you're saying, I mean, it is so easy now just to sign a petition, click a button, and, and next thing you know, your phone's calling that congressperson or that elected official so that you can actually voice your opinion. And I think that's extremely important in a democracy. The compressing rewind, looking at your LinkedIn, you and I have very similar kind of pattern around community building. You know, I've, I've done tons of events in LA and it's sort of been one of the straw that stirs the drinks here in this community. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, even just looking at like the stuff you did with bar camp, that's sort of OG tech. Like I was always the guy in high school throwing parties. Was that you too? Yes. Well, I would have, yes. I lived with my dad for a while and he traveled a lot. So I had my friends over there. I apologize for Peggy, my mini Aussie, Peggy Pop Delaney on Instagram, if you'd like to check her out. (laughs) (laughs) She's adorable and quite loud, but I digress too. Yes. So I I was one of those people. I was very much a social butterfly, very much uh, friends with everybody, the jock punks, the, you know, everybody. I was friends with everyone, kind of a pacifist. I was kind of a punk rock skateboard kid. And so, yeah, at school, I would definitely have people over. I had my first apartment when I was 16 years old. So had a lot of people over there too. Wow. Dave's not here. Dave's not here, man. Half the audience. Mr. Barry Elephant. The other half is me. What are you guys talking about? Go watch Chong. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Uh, Toronto. Oh, sick. Yeah. 
I lived in Canada for a couple of years. I had I developed a really nasty Tim Hortons habit when I was there. Yeah, that double double will get you every time. It's actually it's now officially in the Canadian dictionary. The word double hyphen double. So yes, it's uh, two creams, two sugars for your listeners. Yeah, it's like the Canadian Starbucks, and they got really good donuts. Yes, they do. Yeah, I still order Timmy's uh, by the ten. So yeah, where in Canada were you? I was in Calgary area. And um, I traveled around for a bit. I've seen a lot of Canada. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Yeah, it's good times. What brought you to the States? Yeah, so I came here as a result of going to Ireland. So I met my wife, Heather, in Galway, Ireland. And we lived in Ireland for a couple of years. And we lived in Scotland for a year. And we traveled quite a lot of Europe back then as well, just kind of backpacking days. And we decided to get married. And so we, we moved to Toronto. She's from Tennessee of all places. So I met her in Galway and, and then we got married and lived in Toronto together for seven years, six winters. And that was enough for her. Plus we had two kids. We still have them, by the way. <laughs> They're uh, Irish twins. They're 15 and 16 now. And so when we had the kids, we decided probably to slow down a little bit, you know, and we had a, a much bigger family in the Nashville area. And so decided kind of a combination of, of, of tapping into a bigger family, better weather and, uh, and that, and a, a much less expensive cost of living. Toronto's quite an expensive city and Nashville's getting there now too. Yeah. And, and Toronto's gotten even more expensive. Yeah. And then you studied business and film and TV in school, right? Yeah. So I, I majored in radio broadcasting. So I studied radio and television broadcasting originally and graduated from that program. And then years later, actually, after Ireland, went back to school in Toronto and went to university there, went to Ryerson and studied and got my master's in business and marketing communications. What's one of the insights from school that have stuck with you and sort of been a guiding light or a first principles that have really kind of served you well? Yeah. Uh, don't burn bridges and keep in touch with people. It's amazing. I'm still in touch with a couple of the profs I had there at Ryerson. In fact, I just exchanged messages with one on, on Twitter or on LinkedIn, excuse me, just the other day. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of value. I mean, you know, when you have professors or guest speakers, lecturers there for a reason, they're bringing expertise and knowledge to, and many of the professors also have are still vested in interests outside of the the school that you're at so it's important to to keep in touch with them you know and you never know what might come from that opportunities may come later ways that you might be able to serve them later so 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 you know it really it's part part and the other you know, students that you meet as well of course yeah i love that you and i are so similar i i'm like that too i, I even hearing your response, I'm thinking about like, why is it that I do that too? I think partly it's probably because I do value time. It's like those moments that I spent with people, I want to honor that. But also it's like, I guess there's some sort of, you know, it's not completely altruistic, although it is really nice to like reconnect with people and honor them and celebrate them. There's also like a, that's valuable time that I spent with these people as well that I want to be able to, you know, and I don't think take advantage of is the right idea, but maybe uh, get some sort of like benefit from her or it's like a long tail leverage kind of thing. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, and I, I guess something I've struggled with is the effort of friendship and 
I mean, I'm still best buddies with my friends from high school. Like that, like we're still really close and we still talk all the time or, you know, pretty well. And, but I find that like Facebook kind of replacing the, or not replacing, but sort of changing the, the definition of friends and misunderstanding what that is and who friends are and what that is. Um, that's something that I've, I've challenged, I've struggled with because I, I always want, I want to be everyone's friend. I want to be everyone's friend. I want to be your friend. And I genuinely feel that way. I want to hang out. I want to do stuff. I want to shoot the breeze and whatever. And I feel that way about most, a lot of people that I meet very, you know, but it, it's something I struggle with on my podcast. I interviewed professor Robin Dunbar from Cambridge and he's the one who came up with Dunbar numbers. So for those who don't know, like the idea is that you can only really manage about, give or take, 250 relationships. And it's not just 250 best friends, but it kind of drills down into like your core. I thought it was 150. Has it gone up? No, actually, I think I'm lying. Maybe it is 150 now that I think of it. Yeah, I think we've actually aligned army companies as 150 as an army company based on this insight, but I could be wrong. No, you're right. Gore-Tex also did it. Gore-Tex created satellite warehouses and they made them each around that size in order to, to allow them to foster friendships and relationships within those each division. Yeah. He's a fascinating guy and somebody I really liked him. I liked uh, talking with him a lot. And I talked about that in my book, New Business Networking as well, about Dunbar's number. Yeah. I'm going to definitely link to that episode in the show notes. What was the, cool, yeah. what was the insight that you had from Professor Dunbar? Well, he's written a new book I forget what it's called. It's something to the effect of friends or friendship. So it's all about friends and fostering friendships and balancing friendships. And so actually one of the things that he talked a lot about was pub life, having lived in Ireland and, uh, you know, I'm a big, and I've lived in England and, and Scotland and so forth. You know, I love a good pub. Now I quit drinking a, about getting on to, it'll be two years in June, but there's all these great microbrew, non-alcoholic beers now, but I love a pub. I love the whole idea. I hate bars with loud TVs or sports bars or even any TV in some cases, a pub, like a cozy pub sitting around a table with some friends, getting to know people that are, you know, floating around in the pub. And so he's done a lot of studies on the pub culture because unfortunately pubs are kind of dying out in the UK and in Ireland. So it was quite a quite an interesting conversation. We got to talking a lot about pubs actually. So it does, does do you know if he's changed his thoughts about being able to manage a higher number of contacts? Is there a sort of a human adaptability here? No, he's adamant about his number. Again, I mean wiggle room, but he sticks to it. And I mean, he originally studied primates and only started studying humans after running out of funding. And that, so they got new funding to study study humans and relationships among humans instead of uh, eight. And so, but it, yeah, so it's pretty fascinating. And there's a lot, like we talked a lot, something that stood stood out to me too was, and especially in this day and age when so many companies have gone fully remote, his belief, he's convinced me that this will not work long-term for most businesses unless you bring your team together, which is why I really push for that. Like not push, but I talk to clients about that all the time. I'm like, bring, do a retreat, bring your team together. I understand that teams are now working in a hybrid way. Make sure that they come into the office on the same day so that they see one another, they get to know one another and they spend time because a lot of what he talks about it is the need for us to establish 
friendships. And if you care about employee retention, you know, chances are people are going to, are far more likely to stay working for you if they have friendships at work. I couldn't agree with that more. Absolutely. Yeah. That's like one, number one is like, you know, people don't quit jobs, they quit their boss. And then I think secondly, um, what keeps people stuck around is, is the friend network. I think also there's probably like mission and values too, that, that play into a part. Like if you had all things being equal, yeah, you know, two exact offers, same title, same sort of prestige or, you know, same compensation, the one that has sort of a more quote unquote righteous mission will, will sort of probably attract more quote unquote talent than one that doesn't. But I think this is all very much, uh, uncharted waters that we're kind of navigating through. It's true. I, I, I want to double click more into this, but let's real quick. I do want to, let's push pause here because Nashville is such an interesting part of your story. It's such an important emergent city historically in the United States. Yeah. I had on, uh, I think episode six, Marcus Whitney was on the show who's a friend of ours and he's in Nashville and he was telling you the whole backstory on Nashville. So anybody that wants to really dig in and learn why Nashville is sort of the home of the health sector, that episode gets into it. Marcus was my co-conspirator in Barcap. It was actually Marcus's idea to do it. The two of us, the fun story of that, and it gets into my networking story. When I moved to Nashville, I didn't know anybody. And I share this in my book, by the way. But when I moved to Nashville, I didn't know a soul besides my wife. And so I networked quite aggressively to meet people. And somebody introduced me to Clint Smith, who ran Emma, which is a popular email marketing company. So I met Clint. I was looking for a job for sure, but you know, I was just meeting different people around town type of deal. So I met Clint and he introduced me to Marcus. Uh, so he set up Marcus and I on a blind date, basically to go get a coffee. And so we went to Fido, which is a great local coffee shop in Nashville. We sat down and we became instant friends. Like we just hit it off, like just instantly. I don't know if it was like this kind of Northern kind of deal. He's like from New York, I'm from Toronto. I don't know, but we really hit it off. And yeah, he proposed we should do like a bar camp. And I'm like, yes, I'm all in, let's do it. And we started planning it right there and then. It was crazy. And uh, as we were leaving, Marcus is like, oh yeah, by the way, Clint wants to hire you for a job. So you should take that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I will. And then next thing I knew, I had a job. And so Emma was a big supporter of Bar Camp as well, of the first uh, first uh, Bar Camp conference in Nashville. Yeah. So for the audience, Bar Camp was an unconference that was more technical in nature. So it would attract more of engineering type folks. And then they would uh, essentially, people could propose talks and they'd run a whiteboard or something, put what what area or what room of the venue and they can go self-select and, and, uh, so those are really good times. It feels like unconferences have gone a little bit out of vogue, but that's a whole nother topic. It, they have. Yeah. It seems that way too. Yeah. Probably COVID, but even before COVID let's do this. So Nashville is, it seems like it's been, had a real boon with COVID. I know a lot of people have moved to Austin. A lot of people have moved to Miami, Boise, but I think Nashville is probably in top five city that people have moved to. I've had a few friends in LA move out there. Um, how is it feeling right now in general and what's sort of the vibe and the kind of the tech and the sector in, in town now? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it's becomes 
it's still very strong. I just had the uh, the CEO, Jane Allen, of the Nashville Entrepreneur Center on my podcast to talk about sort of Nashville's kind of ecosystem and where we're at with that. I still, I feel that it is kind of a little siloed in a weird way. I think you can find a group for anything now. When Marcus and I did the first bar camp, there wasn't really any other events related to the tech industry. There were some more like kind of suit and tie type events that were more sort of upper scale kind of thing, but not ones that really attracted sort of the startup kind of crowd developers and, you know, early stage folks. So, but I mean, Nashville, like there is still a shortage of tech talent in this town. There's plenty, you know, Amazon's here now, you know, there's tons of different companies here now opening offices and hiring like crazy. So Nashville as a city has struggled with um, infrastructure. Uh, That's, you know, public transportation is just pathetic. And that's something that I would love to see improve. And there have been lots of proposals, but they've never really come to fruition. So, and like, it's like pothole. All right. The infrastructure is a little decayed. Yeah. But I mean, that might be a consistent thing, you know, in most places across the country. I think that's, that's kind of a consistent, I think, you know, but it also depends where you are. I mean, I remember my wife and I did our 20th anniversary in uh, Big Sur and uh, just several months before we were planning on going, a big chunk of Pacific Highway fell into the, into the ocean. Yeah. And it down almost two years. Well, at that point when it happened, we were like, oh crap, like this is going to mess up our trip. And it took this little chunk, it took like a month or two and they actually repaired it and fixed it. So I don't know. So well, who are some of the people, if there's sort of newbies into Nashville or people that are interested in the in the city, who are some folks you'd recommend they follow online or try to engage with besides yourself and Marcus? Yeah, oh, I was going to definitely say Marcus. Yeah, Jane Allen over the Nashville Entrepreneur Center would be a good person to connect with. Brian Moyer uh, is the outgoing but current president of the Nashville Technology Council, and he's done a great job. He will also be coming up on my podcast pretty soon. Those two, John Work is a great guy who runs Nashville Software School, and he early days, you know, recognized the fact that we needed talent. And he's like, screw it. Let's start teaching people. And he just went right, you know, in the entrepreneurial vein, just went, all right, let's do this and created the uh, Nashville Software School. So so that's really helping to feed the needy ecosystem here where we need tech talent. So John is a great person I'm trying to think of others. Well, those are three people I definitely recommend following and, and checking out what they're doing. Yeah, I love that. Well, let's press play again on the business and the consulting that you're doing so future fourth, you're doing consulting. It sounds like you're doing, talk to us about the offerings that you do with clients. And then what are the transformations? Yeah. So I do everything from speaking engagements where I just come and speak for the company. And that's something that is especially effective at like an offsite or a retreat, as I mentioned earlier, because it makes that content more memorable. And I, I do some fun activities. I've got a background with uh, improv. I studied with Second City in Toronto and have kind of weaved in part of uh, what I do with that into some of some of my workshops. Thank you. Yeah. And then I do like a 90 day sprint where I work with the CEO or the C-suite team and other team members as well to implement changes based on, we start with an anonymous employee survey just to get a feel for, you know, what it really feels like kind of behind the scenes. Oftentimes when you work and when you run a fast growing tech company, 
you're not aware of some of the problems that are taking place, you know. And by the way, what I bring to the table here is my own experiences of working for both great bosses and also not so great bosses. And I've worked for fast growing companies and have experienced firsthand what it's like when it doesn't go well. And really, I want to help founders. I want to help C-suite types, leadership of businesses, but I also want to help them because I also want to help do work for those companies so that they don't have to experience some of the crap that I had to experience and others have to experience as well. So like an ending as well. When you're delivering the work that you're doing, typically there might be some sort of problem, culture problem, or maybe it's an enlightened CEO that wants to make sure that, you know, everything's scaling smoothly. What is that sort of beginning state and end state? And what are sort of the patterns that you see? Yeah. So the beginning state is really related to growing pains. An organization is growing so quickly that communication internally, at least maybe even externally, but internally communication is starting to take a hit and that affects the culture. It affects retention because those that have been there a long time start to think about leaving because, you know, and then the new people, like when you hire a new employee, they, on average, it's like 30% of new hires leave within 45 days. If there's no recognition, there's no onboarding, there's no, you know, anything like that. So that's a big problem spot that I I work on solving. And that's a common problem. And again, it's not to the fault necessarily of leadership. It's they're trying to keep everything going well, and they have stakeholders to keep happy as well. But what happens is as they're spinning plates and as you're hiring rapidly, that starts to take shape and it's not a good situation. So by determining what the problems are specifically, I develop workshops and training and I come in And it might include developing a proper onboarding process. It might even be developing a podcast internally. I started podcasting in 2005, so I've been doing this for a little while. And yeah, so really, it all comes down to improving communication at the end of the day and making sure that things are better. I actually, on futureforth.com, I have a webcast. It's on demand. It's called the ROI of NICE. And it's like a 30-minute short version of some of the material that I present and talk about and, and share when I work with folks. And so everybody's encouraged to, to check that out. It's called uh, the ROI of NICE. And it also is a keynote that I do as well. Yeah, we're going to definitely link to that one as well. So it sounds like some of the transformation is you're improving employer retention. So that's including the lengthening the time that the employee stays. It's reducing the number of employees at bail. Yeah, I was just going to say it costs between six to nine months the salary of an employee to replace that person. So if they're earning like 60000 it costs between thirty to 45000 to replace that one person. And this is a $60,000 employee. So as it gets higher and, as, and if it's a, a lot with tech companies especially, that price of replacing that talent gets even higher. And again, not to keep plugging future forth, but I actually have a calculator right on the homepage that you can go to insert the salary of someone who your concern might be leaving or someone who just left and understand approximately how much it's going to cost to replace, retrain, rehire that person or or replace that person, I should say. And that's based on the Society for Human Resources Management, their number. So their own study. Uh, Sure. What do you call that calculator? The Great Resignation Calculation. Wow. The Great Resignation Calculation. It even rhymed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a rapper when I'm not uh, doing this. 
Yeah, that's funny. That's Curdy D's my white rapper name. There you go. There you go. Davy D's not at you. I know. We're gonna have to like bust out some rhymes. Maybe uh we could get you at a hunt club to do some of your uh workshops and I could be your featured guest. That would be an honor. It would be awesome. So that's amazing. So do you also help with uh like improved glass door and that kind of stuff? Well, you know, like an SEO professional can't a real honest SEO professional can't promise you you'll be number one on Google, they can certainly help you get to improve your organic results, right? So based on, so to answer your question, yes, I can help improve your Glassdoor reviews, but of course I can't promise that. And it really does change based on, you know, what we're doing and, and what you actually do as a result of us working together. So yeah, there fundamentally needs to be, you know, like a, a process that runs and it takes runs a course. That makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. I wanted to shift gears because I know we're both on a time clock on this episode, unfortunately. But before I sort of shift into the next bit, is there anything else on Future Forth that you'd like to share? No, I mean, drop by, check out the podcast, check out the webcast. I've got, I write a blog post every Friday. So uh, yeah, you can drop by and check that out. Yeah, love it. You're just so good with the storytelling and content. I love it. Thanks, man. Yeah. So I think that's a great segue. So the one of the core themes on the show is humanizing success. And I've shared with you, Dave, some of the challenges I've overcome, like even helping my dad get sober. I think we talked about that. Marcus was really candid about his, uh, you know, sobriety and, and all that stuff. And it's incredible. And I do believe the bigger the breakdown, the bigger the possibility for a breakthrough. Having said that, what's a challenge personally or professionally that you faced and that you're comfortable sharing and how did you get over the hurdles and what gifts did that pain or challenge give you? Well, like I've been sober now, it'll be two years in June, but I wouldn't necessarily say that like I had a problem per se. It was more, although, I mean, yeah, when I was younger, I drank like a fish, but that's a, a different story. But in my later years, I mean, it's never really become a problem or anything. I just decided to get sober and just stop drinking altogether just cut it out of my life. My dad passed away last year from dementia and Alzheimer's. And I mean, he was much older. He had a, he had a great life and a good run, but you know, that's something I've been trying to, to avoid because it runs in my family. So, and being sober will help with that. Exercise will help with that. Mindfulness will help with that. The thing that runs with the family is dementia and they're saying there's an alcohol relatedness to it. That's a good question. Uh, well, no, there is an alcohol connection to to dementia and Alzheimer's, to Alzheimer's. Got it. So, and that's in general, like anybody. But for my family, yeah. Well, my dad drank like a fish as well uh, most of his life. And so I'm sure that did not help. So, but I think for me, really just self-belief in yourself. And that's something I've struggled with over the years, really with, and it's weird because I'm very outgoing and I love meeting people and I love being on stage and I feel great up there and, and talking to people and doing workshops and all that. But I do struggle with self-doubt, you know, writing my book was, was challenging that way, but apparently every author, you know, struggles with that during that process. So I think, I guess self-doubt and just realizing that everybody goes through it. And if you're not going through it, then that's probably a bad sign. Uh, so understanding that self-doubt and really self-confidence is, uh, is important to do what you do. I think for me personally, I've, I've kind of changed my thinking in a way you know, you asked me how I dealt with that. One thing I do now is I, I donate a percentage of my profit every month to different charities that I care about. And 
part of the thinking to do this was, and not to like toot my own horn here or anything, because I'm trying to increase the percentage that I can give away each month, but it helps me stay focused and realize that, okay, if I'm making a living and by making a living, I'm serving and helping people, then I'm going to help more people and help the causes that I care about most. So if I'm not making any money, I can't contribute to those causes that I care about most. Yeah. And so it kind of helps me feel more empowered to do more, you know, to do better work. And so that's always what I'm trying to achieve. I love that. That's that's awesome, honest, and and uh, yeah, man. Wrapping up, kind of a random question. It's a fun one, and then we'll wrap up. But if you could have any band play any venue, past, future, or present, who would it be and where? First thing that comes to mind. The first thing that comes to mind would be the would probably be the Dead Kennedys. At oh gosh, what's the club in New York? The famous club. CBGB. Yeah, yeah, CBGBs. Or maybe the Ramones, since I never got to see the Ramones live, uh, the Ramones would have been, and that that's their home turf. So maybe the Ramones and CBD, with all due respect to Jello and his crew. I love that. Ramones actually wrote a song about my sister-in-law, but that's another discussion altogether. That is another discussion. We need to talk about that. So how can folks get a hold of you? You're pretty easy to get online, like email, Twitter. What's your preferred channel? Yeah, you can email me, Dave, at futureforth.com. Futureforth is where I live online. I've got a speaking page and and I'm on I'm Dave Delaney on all the social networks. So yeah, you can just you can find me. And I do like I sincerely ask your listeners to reach out and just say hello. I would love to hear from you. You don't have to like it doesn't have to be anything. Just reach out and say hi, because I always love meeting people. And if I can help you, I will. Cause you're so nice. Practice what you <laughs> preach, man. <laughs> it's so great to reconnect we're so blessed that you're on this earth doing what you do and i hope you have a wonderful day and i'm really looking forward to uh, collaborating in the near future thank you so much yeah thank you man it was a pleasure thanks again to my friend dave delaney for being our guest i so appreciated his commitment to being nice and truly modeling the behavior and showing fast-growing companies how to do the same I'm at Curdy D on Twitter and Instagram. Also, Kurt Derdix on LinkedIn. And until next time, Curdy D loves you. Thanks for listening. To review the show notes for this episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, and any links mentioned, visit CurdyD.com. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to be notified when new episodes go live. Stay tuned for more unique perspectives shaping the world on The Curdy D Show.